I love the opportunity that we have when we gather and we sing. Um, there, there's something about when we gather and sing that it can't be replicated. It can't be replicated by just listening to music uh, in our car. It can't be replicated from uh, listening to a message or watching a video. There's something about the presence of God when we sing together, and it's so good. And if some of you are like, listen, normally we do more music than this. We're getting gypped on Easter. Don't worry, there's going to be a little bit more at the end, and I'm so excited. Well, there's two, two types of people in this world, okay? There are those who are right and those who are wrong. There are those who feel the necessity to have to drive uh, to far southern lands to go uh, to the ocean. And then there are smart people who are from Michigan who think it's the better idea just to go north and go during the summer to Lake Michigan. Um, I'm not going to say who, who some of those people are, but I saw a lot of y'all were down in uh, the southern places at the beach. Here's the reason why, and in, in, in my wife, her love language probably is the beach, and so she is always saying we need to go, and sometimes she says Lake Michigan doesn't count. But, but let me tell you why Lake Michigan is better uh, for a couple obvious reasons than the ocean. Uh, three reasons, actually. Uh, first of all, no sharks. Second of all, no hurricanes. Third of all, no sharks. I've never understood this idea of like, hey, I have this great idea. We've seen all the different Jaws movies and seen what, you know, we watch Shark Week. We see how great of a destroyer they are. I have this great idea. Let's pay a bunch of money and let's go down someplace where we're not really going to get into the water without being scared the entire time. And then we're just going to hang out at a pool. Lake Michigan, and I get it. Some of y'all are like, but Lake Michigan's cold. Listen, I'm sorry that, that for you Hoosiers, God didn't create you as tough as us Michiganders to deal with the cold waters. It's okay. We all have our gifts and, and weaknesses, and, and I get it. It's fine. But I used to love going to Lake Michigan as a kid. And to me, it's, it's one of those where I'm, when, I, when it comes to the beach, as I've gotten older, I've enjoyed more just like chilling. But I've always been more of like the type that like, I want to be active. I want to go in the water. I want to play. And again, I don't want to have to worry about like whether or not something's going to eat me. So one of the things, though, that makes me weird, and there are a lot, and if you know me, you know that I'm pretty weird, is I would always love to go to Lake Michigan when it was storming. I know that sounds weird. Like, you know, they have, like, the flag system where it's, like, red means danger, yellow means warning. Like, I would be so excited when there was something, like, flapping in the wind, and it meant, like, this probably isn't a good idea to go in here. I was like, yes, this is going to be fun. I love the idea of going to body surf and do some of those things. You know, one of my favorite things and and, and an inevitable thing about when you go into a large body of water like one of the Great Lakes, like an ocean, is that unless it's just incredibly calm, typically whatever area that you walk out into, if you stay out in the water long enough, typically you're not going to be where you started. Typically, eventually the tide, the waves are going to push you. And sometimes you're going to notice it and sometimes you're not. It was always fun as a kid. I can remember going out with my dad and we, you know, our stuff would be here and we'd go out here. And by the time, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, we would decide we're going to come in. We'd be way over here. And I would, I would be so freaked out at first. I'm like, dad, mom's not there anymore. She, she got kidnapped. He's like, idiot, look left. Like she's down the beach. There's something about the power of a large body of water that moves us in different directions. That, 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 that when we enter into it, we can't really be the same. The story of Easter, in my opinion, in a lot of ways, is, is the story of love coming down. Love dying, love rising again, and love coming to encompass us, to encompass our world. So that way we cannot stay the same 
as before we got in there. That wherever we began, we will not be in the same place. Because love moves us. Love makes us do things we wouldn't normally do. This morning as we uh, approach the, the, the story of Easter, as we look at both the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I want us to think about that. I want us to think about how is God calling us personally and how is God calling us as a body to move? Because I don't believe that Jesus came back from the dead. I don't think he went to the cross so that way our lives could stay the same. I really believe that, that, that he, he did all of that so something different could be for us. Something better. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to the Gospel of Matthew 27, starting in verse 52. And if you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screen. To give a little background, at this point in the story, Jesus... Uh, he has been betrayed. He has been arrested in the garden. He's cut off a dude's ear and put it back on. Pretty neat. He has uh, gone before a trial. He has been uh, demanded that he would be crucified and that they would let this terrible, terrible criminal go. He has been beaten. He has been tortured. Everything that Scripture had foretold about him has come to be at this point. And this is what it says. It says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. All right. Some of y'all are like, listen, Aaron, you talk about this every Easter. You talk about this all the time. You're right, I do. You know why? Because it's a big deal. So let's talk about this for a second. So Jesus, this is his last breath. He gives up his spirit. He dies. Because again, that's, that's like the reality. He did die. Like there, there's, there's again no resurrection without a death. And so he dies. Now what happens is the temple was a big deal for the Israelite community, for the Jewish people. There was this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. The idea of the Holy of Holies is that this is where the presence of God would literally be. You see, throughout the Old Testament, whenever people came encounter with God... Many times they would be afraid. Sometimes they would die. I was watching, how many of you guys ever watch the Ten Commandments uh, the night before Easter? You know, Charlton Heston where he, you know, he's, in the fa- he's, he's, he's right in front of God in the burning bush and he, he comes back and he's telling his wife about it and he just says it's, it's indescribable. It was so frightening. So the Holy of Holies contained the Spirit of God because it was confined to this area, but it was also this powerful force that people could not handle because of the sin because of their uncleanliness. And it was crazy because there were uh, priest people who their jobs were that they were to keep themselves ceremonial clean. And they would, I mean, you're talking about like, how many of you guys have ever had to go in when someone's had like Mercer or something and you like scrub up to go in to visit them? And the one thing I never understand is they always tell you like, hey, take your scrubs off while you're in the, in the room beforehand, which I always think, like, if they have an infectious disease, wouldn't I get it in that last five seconds that I'm like taking off my stuff? and leave? That's a different story though. But anyways, these, these, these men who would go into the Holy of Holies, I mean, they had to just be spotless. I mean, this is the, the top of the top, the elite. They would do all these crazy ceremonies. And the idea is that they would go in there and they would make sacrifices. They would make atonements. They would, they would basically go before God and, 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 and plead on behalf of the Israelite people to forgive them. And there was this curtain, there was this veil that was in the Holy of Holies that kept the Spirit of God. Now, when we hear curtain or veil, I think we probably think of like Aunt Muriel's like 
uh, drapes that are like plaid and have mallards on it and are really flimsy, right? Like they don't really even keep the sun uh, from coming through. This thing would have been heavy. This would have been thick. This would have been something that uh, it would not have been easy to tear. And also you have to think about this would have been huge. So it's not even like it's something that's only like this big by this big and you could, you know, take a little slice it and dice it. This was a big deal. And it was a big deal because, one, it was miraculous that it happened. But, two, it was this symbolic representation that when Jesus died on the cross, when his blood was shed, when his body was broken for our sin, for the opportunity for us to have our debts paid, so we could stand in joyous relationship with our Father once again. When this tore in half, it was this symbolic representation that the Spirit of God was no longer confined to one area, but that it now was freely moving and flowing. That no longer did you have to clean yourself up and come to God, but now, quite literally, the Spirit of God was unleashed, and His love and His grace was on the move. My friends, the way I think about it is that the love of God in this moment was saying it cannot be contained and that it is constantly pursuing us. And I believe that's still the case today. That the love of God, it it cannot be contained. That it is constantly pursuing you and me. Not because we deserve it. Not because we uh, stand as these clean people. But sheerly because the love of God is a powerful force that cannot stay in one place. That it is constantly flowing, constantly moving. It was this huge, huge deal. Because of it, it it means that you and I, we don't have to get our lives perfect to come before God. And we don't have to travel to a place. We quite literally just have to say, God, and he says, yeah, I'm right here, what's up? I mean, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. But it reminds us that in the nature of God is movement. And the nature of God is, is, is not something that is stagnant and stands still. When I was a kid, we, uh, we'd go to a summer camp and there was this area that had lily pads and it had kind of gross things. And, and honestly, it was almost like a piece of this lake that really didn't move. And it was kind of gross. I'm just going to be honest. And they did this thing where you would write letters. If you got so many letters, you got thrown into the pond. And so my dad is a jerk. In, in a really loving way. And he would always purposely write letters for me. He'd make sure, like, there'd be ten, and they'd just say, like, I got you. Hope you plug your nose. Um, and, and he would always do that. And he'd usually, like, like spray it with perfume and kiss it and stuff. It was, as like a, you know, ten-year-old boy, I was like, oh, gosh, guys, I promise I don't have a girlfriend. It was disgusting when you, when you get thrown in that water. And some of it was because there, there wasn't any movement there. It was gross. I heard one time, uh, Pastor John, who used to be the pastor here, I'm pretty sure he jumped in the pond out here one time before, and I swear he got sick. There's no movement. See, the, the Spirit of God is not something that is stale. It is not something that isn't active and moving. And that's good news. And so we as his followers, we as his church, should model that. We shouldn't just be standing still. We shouldn't just be staying where we are. We should be moving. We should pursue, be pursuing. But again, the story of Easter is just this craziness that death gave us life. Death gave us life. I mean, I mean, everything about what Jesus did 
during his time in his ministry and his teaching was all about this, this flipping things upside down. And the truth is, we live in a world with a lot of death. And sometimes it's very difficult to find the life. It's very difficult to see the light in the darkness. It's very difficult to see hope when it seems like all we are ever bombarded with is hopelessness. But the good news is that because of a death, we can have life. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, we, we find out that I, I think this is pretty true, um, that we actually have evidence, and guys, I'm sorry for throwing us under the bus, um, but we have evidence that um, men never listen. Despite how many times you tell them, they never listen, and, and women typically do. Throughout Jesus' time with his disciples, he constantly was telling them, listen, the Son of Man must be rejected, he must die, and then three days later, I'm going to rise again. Disciples have no idea, right? Who's the first ones who go to the tomb? Ladies. This is what Luke says in, in chapter 24. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone was rolled away from the tomb, but, they, uh, but when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood behind, beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down in their faces to the ground. But when the men, and then the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. You know, I, I think the question of these angels, I'm, I'm going to go on a hunch and say they're angels. I think their, their question is phenomenally interesting. Why do you look for the dead among the living? Because as I was reading it and studying it recently, I felt like God was talking to me. I don't know about you, but there are times, there are seasons, there are moments in my life where I cry out to God and I say, God, why in the world does, why don't you make me this? Why don't you help me with this? And I think oftentimes I continue, I'm a creature of habit. Like a dog that returns to its vomit, I kind of do the same thing. There are times where, where I cry out to God and I say, God, why is it this way? Why is my life stressful this way? And I think in some ways he, he says to me, Aaron, why are you looking for life in dead places? Why are you seeking life? Why are you seeking me in dead places? You know I'm not there. You know, for some of us, it's in relationships. We're in terrible, toxic relationships, whether romantic or or family or friendships. And there's part of us that continue to say, God, why? Why isn't this fixing Why does my life still stay in chaos? And I think in some ways, if we were listening, he'd probably say, why are you looking for life in dead places? Why are you staying and going back into the tomb? You know, if you look at the story of of Jesus and you look at all that he did, almost every time after he did something miraculous, he told the people to go, to leave. After 
There's the woman who's caught in adultery. And after no one throws a stone, he says, go and sin no more. He doesn't tell her to stay there. He doesn't tell her to stay in her same life. After he raises, he, 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 he heals the man who's lame, he tells him to pick up his mat and walk. He doesn't tell him to stay on her mat. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I healed you. Just, just stay there where you are. He says, no, I healed you for a purpose. Now go. After the demon-possessed man is healed, he tells them, hey, go, go and tell people around your neighborhood what God has done for you. You know, the truth is many of us have experienced, we've believed, we've heard about, we've even probably prayed a prayer in which we said, God, make me a new creation. Yet the truth is, we continue to go back to our tombs. Listen, Jesus gave us a great, great representation of what to do. By when he died and he rose again, he didn't stay in the tomb because it was a representation also, not just that love was so powerful that death couldn't hold it down, but that we should leave the dead things in our lives behind. That he's called us to to life and life more abundantly. Paul says it this way in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I, I love the way that Paul phrases this. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, and when you followed the ways of the world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving the wrath of death. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming age we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved. I'll say that again. It is for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourself. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that anyone can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. You were bought with a costly price, but for an amazing reason. And it wasn't for you to stay where you were. It isn't for you to to, to continue to stay in sin, to continue to stay in darkness, to continue to stay in a tomb. You know, the Gospel of John we've been studying over the last few weeks, and uh, it's uh, over the last month or so. And it's it's interesting because in the Gospel of John, it, it ends in a very interesting way. You know, Jesus, after he, he died and rose again, he, he is he's going around and he's seeing lots of different people. You know, many people probably today are, are giving messages about, um, you know, why can we trust the resurrection? Why is it not an April Fool's joke? And the truth is, there's, there's, there's hundreds upon hundreds of eyewitnesses who, who, who experience Christ. But to be honest, I, I would say I'm one of them. I continue to be a, a witness, a testimony to experiencing the resurrected Savior. And that's really good news. But, but after Jesus uh, has, has, been, has been going around and meeting people, do you remember what he does when he finds some of his disciples? In the very beginning, he, he, he called some of his disciples who were fishermen by trade. And he called them 
to leave their nets behind and to become fisher of men. And you remember what happens. What does he find them doing again? He finds them fishing. They've gone back to their old life. They've gone back to their old life that that tells them to stay where they are. But that's not what God has called us to. You see, the truth is Jesus didn't die and rise again for us to stay in the tomb, to go back to our past, or to do things on our own. He died so we could be free and we could have new life in him. That's the reason he died. He didn't die for you to stay where you were. He loves you far too much for that. heard a story many years ago that I, I thought was phenomenally interesting. Uh, elephants in the circus are, are, you know, they travel all around. And oftentimes uh, they're not going to be bringing a cage for them. And I mean, this is one of the largest animals in, in the world. And it's, it's interesting how they train them to stay where they are. Uh, when they're very young, they take a chain, not a huge chain, but a chain, and they tie it to one of their legs, and they tie it to a post that when it's a baby, the post is going to hold it. And the elephant, you know, like, like all of us, wants freedom. They want to be able to go where they want to go. But what happens is, is the first time that it tries to escape, it tries as hard as it can, but the chains cut into its skin and it hurts and the, the second time it does it, I'm sure it continues to think, maybe this time I can break through. And, and again, it hurts. Till eventually, over time, the elephant begins to uh, remind itself every time that it sees the chain, every time it gets chained up, that it's going to hurt and that they're not going to be able to escape it. And over time, as these elephants grow into their large, large adult size, they use the same chains bind them together. And even though they have the power to be able to escape this, even though they have the power to break through, even though this pain shouldn't hold them back, it does. The Easter story is an important one, I think, because it reminds us that even though the world tells us we're a lot like elephants, that we have chains that bind us, that we can never escape. That we're not good enough to escape. That we're not strong enough to escape. God says, I have already broke the chains. I have already paid the price. And I am ready to bring you to freedom. This morning, I just I have a feeling that some of us, if we're really honest, our lives are like these elephants that we've been fed lies from the enemy that says, you're not good enough. You're unworthy. I didn't die for you. The resurrection isn't real. Why would anyone care to be in relationship with you? And this morning I think Jesus, if you're listening, will tell you, listen, no, 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 no. I died on the cross so you didn't have to stay in the chains. You have the power. You just have to seek out me. That you have the choice to not stay there anymore. Because the truth is, you have been called to so much more 
You've been called to so much more than to just stay wrapped in chains. Chains of guilt and shame. Because I love you. That is what he's saying. My friends, love, I believe, is a verb. And it calls us to move and it changes us. So my hope and my prayer for you is that you you don't resist it, but that you follow it. That maybe this morning starts a new chapter of your life. That you realize, you recognize that that, 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 that God's love is, is reckless. And that it's not reckless because God is this reckless, uncaring sort of thing. But that the love of God is, is something that breaks so many rules. It breaks rules that, that a perfect God would send his perfect son to die for people who don't deserve it, who couldn't earn it, who will never measure up. But it's all because he loves us. Some of us this morning, it's time for us to claim our identity as sons and daughters of Jesus. You know what? Sons and daughters, their fathers, they don't let them stay in chains. They don't let them stay in tombs. They don't let them stay on mats. They help them get up and walk. This is, this is how Jesus ends his, his ministry here on earth. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. My friends, this morning, we have some choices. For some of us, we need to face the reality that it's time to get out of our tombs. It's time to break free of our chains it's time to truly just embrace our Father. Some of us, it's time for us to stop just assuming that Jesus came back just so we could have this personal relationship with Him that didn't affect the rest of our lives. That we're to go into all of the world and proclaim the good news to create disciples. While faith in Jesus is deeply personal, it was the inauguration of the kingdom. And his kingdom says, on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, if, if, if your idea of relationship and faith with Jesus Christ hasn't led you to get out and rub shoulders with your neighbors, it hasn't led you to get out and help people take off the chains that are binding them, Friends, today is a new day to begin to be citizens of the kingdom. I'm going to ask right now, we're, we're going to do some something uh, maybe a little different this morning as we respond. You're going to have a couple ways that you can respond. Uh, the worship team is going to sing two songs. And, and if you want, uh, on, on this uh, Easter morning, you can respond by taking communion uh, whenever you want. And uh, it doesn't matter if, if, if you're not a member of this church, we invite you to the table. But I also wonder if, sometimes I wonder if, if when we say, just pray, just ask God, we, we, we sometimes say, I don't have the words, I don't even know what that would look like, or I don't even know where to start, and, and maybe we just even have the all honesty to say, I, I need someone to walk this with me. I'm going to go and ask, I've asked some people to um, go to the different corners of the room, and this morning, maybe you have a burden that is just weighing deeply on you, maybe you want to... 
accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time or you, you need to recommit and you just want someone to talk with you, you want someone to pray with you, I'm going to go ahead and ask the, the people that I've asked to go ahead and make their ways to that corner, to those different corners of the room. And if, if you find a person standing in different places, they would absolutely love to pray with you. They're not going to be gossiping or sharing with anyone afterwards. They're not going to judge you. You don't even have to tell them what you want them to pray about, even if you just want them to just pray with you. But this morning, I don't want you to miss out on a moment, a moment in which maybe God is saying, it's time to move. It's time to get up. It's time to go. Things change. I'm going to ask you all to go ahead and just stand up as we're going to worship. God, I thank you for the cross. God, because of it, God, we no longer stand condemned. But God, we are free. God, the debt that we had that we could never pay, God, has been paid in full by your son, Jesus. But God, even more so, I am so thankful for an empty tomb. God, I'm thankful that the love of God is so powerful. That God, no matter what's going on in our lives, if we remember that death itself could not hold Jesus down, then whatever is going on in our lives, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if we call your son Lord, lives inside of us. God, I pray that you would just give us courage and bravery. God, I pray that if, God, if you're talking to someone, God, would their ears be wide open? God, would they hear that you love them? Would you hear that, 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 that you died for them not to stay in that darkness because you know what it was like to be in that darkness. You know in the garden as you were pleading if the cup could be taken, you know how a soul can be overwhelmed. And you took on that burden for us. God, I pray this morning as we respond that God, that maybe someone's life would be completely changed. God, I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.